Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. This is a time in which we're going to shift gears from what we've been doing. It is the Christmas season, so uh, as a result, we're going to start looking at things related to uh, Jesus Christ and His birth. And if you will, uh, join me in the book of Matthew, if you'll turn to Matthew this morning. And as you find your place in the book of Matthew, we're going to just stick your finger in there and let's have a word of prayer uh, so we can get started. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much that you've given us the privilege of coming together and to worship you and to exalt you. And Father God, we just thank you for this wonderful time of the year that we can remember the great sacrifice that was made for us. That's a sacrifice that is beyond the uh, the cross, the sacrifice of your coming and dwelling amongst us. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us as a body of believers and as a people of God, that we might be immersed in your word. And Lord, that we might allow your word to speak to our hearts. Lord, that we'd be moved. Uh, to live and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And I want to give you a little uh, overview of of what we're reading here. Uh, Matthew is one of four Gospels in the uh, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all... uh, uh, what are called Gospels, they are four Gospels, but there's really only one Gospel that we uh, uh, share, uh, and that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Gospel message of Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross, a substitutionary death, a death on the cross that we deserved, and dying and and uh, taking that penalty of our sins upon Himself, taking upon Himself the sins of the world, and uh, His death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel message. But what we have are four different perspectives in the New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the same story. It's just as if you were at an uh, intersection with, uh, in a downtown uh, city area, and all of a sudden there was an accident. And what would happen is, is that police would come, they would take care of the people that were in need, and then they'd begin to take eyewitness statements from those who witnessed the accident uh, to get a perspective as to what happened uh, in that time. And of course, this is outside any uh, uh, video uh, evidence that might be available uh, nowadays with video cameras just about everywhere. Uh, But they would take statements from individuals and they would have witnesses that would be able to tell exactly what happened. Now, that's what we have in the Gospels. We have four witnesses that are telling the same story. They're just telling it from a different perspective. And what you would get on that street corner in that downtown area would be essentially the same story, but from different vantage points, different uh, views of what happened. Some people might 
uh, be more in tune with uh, the person that was hit. Other people might be more in tune with the person that was doing the driving and hit the other car. Uh, but regardless uh, of enough of well, eyewitness statements, you would hopefully be able to get a consensus of what happened and you'd be able to have a pretty good idea of the events of that time. And what we have here are four different perspectives of the gospel message, the one message of Jesus Christ coming and dwelling amongst us but they give us different perspectives four different perspectives of the same event and so we're going to look at that first one there Matthew now Matthew is uh, a a a, a unique character in that he is quite different from the others. At the time of Christ's birth and the time in which Jesus Christ is living, the time in which we're looking at right now, Israel was under Ro- Roman occupation. They uh, were dominated by the Roman government uh, from uh, the east of uh, or the west of where uh, Israel is, and they were uh, under that domination, as were many other nations and other countries. And part of that was a crushing tax system that was imposed upon them. Uh, it was something that was uh, relentless and very. Uh, uh, it was very uh, systematic. They had two different types of poles. You had a poll tax, which is basically very similar to our income tax today. And you had a ground tax, which is very similar to our property tax. And uh, what you had was a class of individuals that were mainly senators there in Rome and uh, the upper echelon of the Roman society, and they would have the opportunity to bid on the right to be able to collect taxes in the different provinces of the, uh, the government of Rome. And they would win that bid and then pay the price, and then uh, they would, uh, and those individuals were called the publicani. And those were uh, individuals who had the right for five years to be able to collect the tax. And they, those publicani would uh, then uh, uh, hire slaves and other individuals that were traitors in their own nation uh, that would then go and collect the tax and those individuals were then called uh, called publicans and we uh, know of them they were uh, people that were not very well looked upon they were not very well uh, thought of they were seen as traitors to their own people because they uh, what happened was is that uh, they were excising a tax for a foreign nation, but they weren't just excising the tax that was required. Anything extra that they could get, they uh, would have to uh, pass it on to the publicani that employed them, uh, and they had to have their cut, but anything extra that they were able to get, uh, they would then uh, be able to keep themselves. And we know that from uh, the witness of Zacchaeus and what he did uh, when he came to Jesus and he was confessing uh, the things that he had done. Uh, but the uh, one of those publicans that was mentioned in the Bible is uh, a man by the name of Matthew Levi or Matthew or Levi. Uh, uh, it's... He's the individual that wrote this first gospel message. And what happened was, is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, you can see the, the, uh, 
the encounter that he has with Jesus in which uh, Jesus is walking through uh, the uh, business area there and he comes across Matthew and he looks at Matthew and he says, come follow me. And Matthew leaves all of, of the things that he's doing, very lucrative business of collecting taxes and he uh, leaves all of that and he follows after Jesus Christ. And uh, we can see that Matthew's not the typical publican in that he uh, is willing to leave all of that. Uh, perhaps he's seen uh, Jesus from time to time as Jesus has been preaching, uh, maybe in the uh, temple, maybe in the uh, courtyard area, uh, in the common areas. He's heard the messages of Jesus. Uh, perhaps he has heard word about who Jesus Christ is and it's been weighing upon his heart. And as soon as Jesus comes and t- uh, says, come follow me, he leaves all of that he has done in an instant and he uh, turns and goes and follows Jesus Christ. Now that is a uh, testimony to the character of Matthew and what uh, an encounter with Jesus Christ can do. I, I don't believe that Jesus would have uh, would have uh, invited someone like a pub, uh, just a, any old publican to come and to join to be a part of a band of 12 individuals that were able to walk with him and sleep with him and, and dine with him and listen to the messages of of Jesus' teachings that he was teaching uh, and having a, a relationship with God incarnate that is like none other uh, than except for himself and the 11 other individuals. And so it says a lot about the character of, of Matthew. Matthew is the one that's writing this. Matthew's very, uh, uh, throughout the, uh, the book of Matthew, you'll see that Matthew is, does not uh, speak about himself in the first person. He doesn't say, well, I did this along with the other disciples or I did that. He always speaks of himself in the third person and he doesn't give himself any credit for anything that is going on in his gospel message. He's very humble and uh, he does not uh, uh, cause himself to look any better than anyone else. He doesn't cause himself to stand out. But Matthew is very humble and that he realizes the type of person that he was, the type of uh, people that he encountered. If you'll look at Matthew 9 verse 10, you'll see that Matthew, after he's called of Jesus Christ to follow him, he throws a big party in his home and uh, he's got all of these other publicans that are there. And he's doing exactly what a new Christian should do and all of us should do once we come to know Jesus Christ. He uses his influence on all his co-workers, all the people that he, uh, that he runs circles with. And he, uh, uh, the uh, Pharisees say, uh, who, what, what's the deal with your master? He's uh, having, sitting down and dining with the publicans and the sinners. He's, uh, he, uh, publicans were associated with harlots and, and uh other of the of the worst sinners, and yet here's Matthew, and he's collected all of his friends, and he is uh, proclaiming to them in a very open and and robust way that he is no longer going to uh, to live the kind of life that he once lived, and he's uh, openly sharing with them about his new master, uh, Jesus Christ, that he is following. And so Matthew is a very unique individual, and he gives us this uh, book of Matthew uh, that we're looking at, 
And Matthew shares with us a perspective of Jesus Christ from the kingly perspective. And that's what we're going to look at today. He, he portrays Jesus as the king. Uh, and in the book of Matthew, what we have is a message of the kingship of Jesus Christ. And Matthew uh, shares with us three aspects of Jesus Christ throughout the book of Matthew that we need to look at and we need to understand and we need to see what, uh, what they are. He's, uh, first of all, what we're going to deal with today is the King revealed. We're going to see Jesus Christ for the King that He is. And, we're, and He also shares uh, very early in the book of Matthew, the King rejected. And uh, uh, throughout Matthew, we see uh, time and again in which Jesus Christ is rejected. In Matthew, uh, for instance, we don't have the, uh, the great... Um, angelic proclamation to the uh, to the shepherds. We don't have the center at the cross that uh, makes the confession of who, uh, who Jesus Christ is. Instead, we have uh, time and again uh, places in which Jesus Christ is rejected for who He is. He's rejected as King of Kings. He's rejected over and over and over again. And so what we have is a King that's come into His kingdom and He is uh, revealed to the world as who He is. And then we have a King that's rejected and then we have uh, at the end of the book of Matthew the king returning and a very definite message of Jesus Christ not only coming to uh, place himself as a sacrifice for us but the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to return uh, in glory and he's going to return to establish his kingdom and so uh, we have those three aspects of uh, who Jesus Christ is. Matthew's whole emphasis, is, though, is presenting Jesus Christ as king, and it demonstrates, he demonstrates that through his family tree. And we see that here in uh, the very first part of Matthew. As we look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17 this morning, it is basically a, a reciting of the family tree, the pedigree of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, in Second Samuel, I mean, yeah, Second Samuel verse uh, chapter 7, Nathan the prophet declares to uh, King David that uh, the king's uh, uh, lineage will reign forever, that he says that a king is going to reign in Israel and establish an eternal kingdom. And he's talking about Jesus Christ here, and it is the legacy of King David uh, that his uh, family will reign forever. And so uh, uh, Matthew is sharing with us the family tree of who Jesus Christ is. And uh, so uh, you might say, well, what's the big deal about a family tree? What do we understand about Jesus in uh, looking at his family tree? Well, there's several things that you need to be aware of. In uh, that time in Israel, uh, it was essential that you understood and knew who your family was. Now, when uh, the Israelites came from Egypt and they finally, uh, after wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, came to the promised land that God had promised them, uh, they were 
to then divide up the property, the divide up the land of Canaan amongst the different tribes. And uh, they had to recite their lineage in order to uh, be assigned a proper place in which they were allowed to live. And in fact, uh, when we go over to the book of Ruth, we see that uh, Ruth is uh, is encountering Boaz, and Boaz goes and he is uh, 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 the uh, benefactor that's coming in to reclaim uh, a property that uh, belonged to uh, uh, a certain uh, group of people, and so he had to uh, go to the very next person that was in the line of being able to redeem and reclaim the land. And if he was to uh, uh, pass that by, he would then be able to buy the, uh, the property. And, but he, uh, you, you see there in that message about Ruth that uh, Boaz had to go and basically recite his lineage, his pedigree of who he was in order to have that privilege of being able to buy that property. You couldn't just uh, buy any property. You couldn't just say, hey, I like that property over there. I'm going to buy that. Uh, the whole purpose was of doing this was so that the land would be uh, remain within the clan, that, uh, that certain tribes would have a certain uh, area of land that were assigned to them when uh, the children of Israel came into Canaan and uh, it was to remain within that tribe. If you were in the tribe of Benjamin, uh, you were to stay in that area and have that property uh, maintained in that uh, family lineage and so you had to know and had to understand your lineage. Uh, also, when the children of Israel went out into captivity, into Babylon, and you remember that after 70 years, uh, God uh, delivers the, the people of Israel back to come back to the uh, promised land once again. And we read that about that in Ezra. And uh, when they come back to the promised land after leaving uh, the uh, uh, captivity in Babylon, they had to recite their lineage in order to uh, be able to go back into the promised land. There were many who were claiming to be priests and uh, they had to uh, proclaim their lineage in order uh, to established the fact that they were in the Levitical tribe and in order to be able to have uh, certain rights and to claim certain land. And so it was important that uh, they understood their pedigree. Uh, that was Ezra 2.62 that you can see that uh, passage of Scripture. Paul in, New in the New Testament also is very uh, aware of who he is. In Romans chapter 11 verse 1 uh, is he is talking to uh, those who are there, he says his pedigree. He shares his lineage. He shares the fact that he is a son of Abraham. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, uh, he professes his pedigree in order to establish the fact that he has a right as an individual to, uh, to be standing there and to be sharing uh, as a Pharisee and, and as a person who is aware of the law. And so Paul is aware. In fact, 50 times in the Old Testament, we read uh, accounts of genealogies. And I don't know if you've ever read through the whole of Scripture, uh, but uh, when you go through all those genealogies, you wonder, why in the world are we reading all this? 
It's because of the promise that God has made, the covenant that God made, uh, the covenant with Abraham, that Abraham would bless the world through his uh, seed. And so it is important. And so what we have here in Matthew chapter 1 is a descending record uh, down from Abraham uh, through uh, David to Jesus through Joseph. And what we, uh, we need to see that if we take a look in, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so here's how uh, Jesus Christ is king. And David is saying it's through this. He says, uh, uh, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas, Judas begat Perez and, per, uh, and Zerah and Tamar. And Perez begat Isram, and Isram uh, begat Arm, uh, Arm, and Arm begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, uh, or Booz of uh, uh, Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, and of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat uh, uh, Abiah, and, and Abed begat uh, Asa, and Asa begat Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. And Zacchaeus begat uh, Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat uh, Josias, and Josias begat Jehochanias uh, and his brethren about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, uh, Jehochanias begat uh, Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abihud, and Abihud begat Eliakim, Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliadod, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Metanan, and Metanan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away unto Babylon and to Christ are 14 generations. And so what we have here is a very long list of names, and you probably kind of dozed off a little bit during that reciting of names, and it seems like what in the world can we possibly be able to gather from all of these names. Why is it important that these names are listed here? And why is it uh, so uh, significant that we have them? What we have here is uh, the legal lineage for David to be uh, crowned king. Uh, he is in the royal lineage of King David, and it is established through his father all the way back to King David. He is in the lineage of King David, and so as a result, he has the legal right, uh, he has the royal blood, uh, 
for him to have the opportunity to uh, to be to sit on the throne of King David. Now Luke has a different uh, version of uh, the lineage of Jesus Christ. Luke is ascending through uh, uh, a different route. Now you might say, well, uh, why is it that Luke is is different? Luke goes through the lineage of Mary. Line- uh, uh, Luke goes from Mary all the way back through her, uh, all the way back uh, to Abraham. And what we have in Mary is the bloodline. And it's very significant. Now, throughout the life of Jesus Christ, there was times in which Jesus' uh, heritage was taken into question. Uh, there were times in which Jesus was preaching and teaching and they were saying, why is it that we're listening to this guy? We know who he is. We know who his parents are and we know his uh, brothers and sisters and he, he's nothing special. We know all of them. Why are we listening to him? He, uh, and what they were saying is, is uh, there were people who were saying, listen, Jesus is a prophet. And others were saying, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is not only speaking prophetically, uh, he is the Christ. And they were saying he can't possibly be the Christ. He's some hayseed from Nazareth. How, how, uh, we know his parents. We know all of these people. And the, part, of the, part of the major reason why a lot of Jewish individuals don't accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah is, is that, uh, that the Messiah had to have certain qualifications. He had to be uh, born in uh, Bethlehem. He was uh, supposed to be uh, someone who was of that heritage. And so they said, this is Jesus. He's, he's some guy from Nazareth. It's, it's, uh, it's not possible for him to be the Messiah. So Matthew here is laying out the lineage for Jesus Christ as the king because uh, Jesus Christ was born of the lineage of Joseph. Now, (coughs) you're saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Which means that he's not in any way uh, the son of Joseph. He's the son of God, right? He's, he's uh, born of Mary. Mary was his mother. Uh, he, he, uh, and so that's why Luke, Luke goes through Mary. But uh, you know what Luke does? Luke goes back through Mary and her lineage, and her lineage goes all the way back to David as well. Now, uh, Joseph and Mary weren't brother and sister. How do you do that? Well, uh, King David had many sons and he had several sons and uh, we see the lineage of Jesus Christ going through his son Solomon who uh, became king after David and then after King Solomon lived remember uh, we had the split of the kingdom of Israel uh, to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and then there were all these uh, kings that that arose in the northern kingdom had kings that were not of the lineage of David but uh, Judah was always had the lineage of King David as a king and throughout all that time uh, everyone who sat on the throne in Judah was considered uh, was a child of David was a, uh, through the lineage of King David and so what we see in Luke is the lineage of Jesus Christ going back through his mother uh, but uh, David had other sons uh, that 
did not sit on the throne, and it was uh, one of those sons of Rehoboam that uh, that the lineage of Mary goes through. So they both go back to David, though. So what you have is the bloodline through Mary and the royal line through David. And so uh, also you have, uh, it's a legal um, thing for for. Jesus Christ to be linked to David through Joseph because of why? Adoption. In uh, the times in which Jesus Christ lived, if you were adopted into a family, you weren't just simply made a part of the family. You were considered as if you were a child of that man born into the family right and so you had all of the rights and privileges of someone who was born into the family so Jesus has the lineage of uh, to David through the blood through Mary uh, through the line, uh, royal line through King David and the reason for that is very clear um Joseph was not the father of Jesus. He was the adopted legal father of Jesus through his lineage. In Luke chapter 4, verse 22, they say, isn't this Joseph's sons? They, they didn't uh, had any question about who Jesus Christ was. But in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, there is an individual in the lineage of King David named Jeconiah. Jeconiah was cursed. And in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, it says that no one who is... Uh, he's, it says, uh, Jeconiah is considered childless. No one from the line of David, from, uh, from Jeconiah on, is to sit on the throne of David. So you have God here working out through the virgin birth uh, the ability for Jesus Christ to claim not only through the bloodline of through Mary but the royal line through David in that he is not a natural born child of David therefore avoiding the Jaconian's curse but he also is of the genealogy he has the right to reign uh, the virgin birth brings that to pass and God overcomes that and so what we have here is uh, the uh, declaration of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, the the uh, in the book of Matthew has never been uh, really uh, a trip. Matthew doesn't come out and, as I said, claim that this is book, his book uh, that he wrote it. But it is uh, throughout history has been attributed to Matthew and is very clear that it is Matthew's book. Uh, and the very first words are uh, Biblios Genesis, the beginnings. A book of the beginnings about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christos. Jesus is the Greek word uh, for the Old Testament. Yeshua. Yeshua is the name uh, of Jesus Christ uh, in Hebrew. And Yeshua means what? Jehovah saves. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, uh, The... Uh, and she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call His name... Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus means 
Jehovah saves. And the shortening version of, uh, of His name uh, emphasizes the verbal action of saving. And Christos, Christos is a word that means the anointed. He is the anointed. And, uh, and it, it was usually used for the anointing of a prophet, a priest, a king. In Matthew 13, 54, uh, they were offended by Him because they understood and knew His origin. Uh, but in John chapter 7, verse 27, and John 8, verse 41, uh, they uh, slandered Jesus for the fact that he. Uh, there were always rumors about Jesus, about whether or not He was uh, born out of wedlock, that He was born... Uh, through some kind of illicit affair. And Matthew is emphasizing Jesus' origin to emphasize His kingship, His uh, uh, authority to rule as king. But He doesn't rule like most kings. Jesus Christ rules not with an iron fist, but He rules with grace. Most kings rule uh, as a tyrant, as someone who exacts uh, uh, all kinds of taxes and, and causes the people to suffer. But Jesus Christ rules through by grace, and He rules in love, and He rules in such a way that, uh, that the people that are under His rule are in grace. Now, there's grace in his lineage. And I, I look at this uh, list of names and I wonder how can we see Jesus Christ's grace in this lineage? And there's three, uh, four ways. First of all, I want you to see uh, the grace that is uh, found in the fact that Mary is chosen. There's not a lot known about Mary before this. Before we see Mary on the scene uh, as she is selected by uh, God to uh, be the vessel in which uh, Jesus Christ would come into the world, there's nothing known about Mary. Mary is uh, in obscurity and uh, we see Mary and, and there are some that want to elevate Mary in terms of of who she is and what she's done. And, and in fact, there's some that, that say that she is uh, in every way uh, equal to Jesus Christ, that she is a um, co-redemptress to, to Jesus Christ, that through her that, uh, that the sins of the world are redeemed because she is the mother of Jesus Christ, that she is uh, also a... Um, uh, a petitioner upon uh, God for uh, the sins of the people of the world. That, uh, and basically everything that Jesus Christ does, they claim that, uh, that she did. They claim that she uh, uh, re- remained perpetually a virgin, although I don't see how you could possibly do that when they name several other individuals that are born of Mary. Uh, uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters are, are uh, listed in the Scripture and, and it's uh, very clear that, uh, that she and Joseph had other children so there's no way that she could have uh, maintained perpetual virg- uh, virginity unless, uh, Jesus, uh, unless all these others were adopted as well and, and uh, she didn't do that. And they also say that uh, because of her uh, sinlessness that she ascended into heaven. Uh, isn't it 
ironic that Satan would seek to try and uh, distort the view of who uh, Mary was, but uh, throughout Scripture we have indication that Mary understood and knew that uh, who Jesus Christ was. She knew that Jesus Christ, even though He was her Son, she knew that He was her Savior. She understood and knew her place, that she was a sinner, just like you and I. She was just like every one of us. She was used of God. She, uh, she was able to be a servant to God, <laughs> but uh, she understood the fact that she was a sinner saved by grace, saved by the relationship that she had with, with God through Jesus Christ. And so she understood and knew who she was. That's grace. That God would select Mary to be uh, used in such a way uh, and this choice of Mary is an indication of grace. Then you have the seed of two men. Uh, very early in, in this lineage, it says that uh, the, uh, this is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of who? Of David and the son of Abraham, the seed of two men. David. A great king. He was uh, uh, a king that uh, that went out into battle and, and was able to conquer many uh, uh, people that were oppressing uh, Jerusalem. But he had so much blood on his hand that when he desired to build the temple of God, God said to him, look, you have too much blood on your hands. You can't possibly uh, build my temple because of the blood that's on your hands. You've spilled too much blood. Not only that, but David, when he should have been out in battle, he was taking a little trip on his uh, rooftop and he looked out and he saw a very pleasing young lady, Bathsheba, right? And he saw her uh, bathing there on the roof and he inquired for her to come. They brought her and he laid down with her and, and uh, slept with her. He's an adulterer. He understood and knew that she was... Uh, married to Uriah, and in, in spite of that, he uh, had relationships with her, and and uh, and she got pregnant. And at that point in time, uh, he couldn't hide it any longer. And so, what does he do? He begins to plot murder. So he's an adulterer and a murderer. This is this is the one of the individuals that his uh, that is in the lineage of the the Savior of the world, an individual who is a, uh, a, a murderer. And Abraham's not any better. Abraham, uh, and you notice here, why do you think that David is mentioned first? He's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham lived before David. Why, why did Matthew put David first? David's the king. That's why he's doing this lineage is to show the kingship of David. But he also wants to point out the, the heritage of uh, Jesus Christ as a son of a Abraham as well. Abraham is not a, a shining individual as well. Uh, Abraham had uh, quite a, <coughs> a history of uh, doing things the wrong way too as he's waiting on God to give him a child, what happens? He uh, gets impatient and he goes into Hagar, uh, the uh, handmaid of Sarah, and he has a child with her. That's adultery right there. Uh, 
you also had the fact that uh, several times when they were wandering about, uh, Abraham uh, says to Sarah, look, uh, you're so beautiful. They're going to come and they're going to kill me and take you away. So he lies to them and tells them that he is uh, that she is his sister. It's really a half lie. It's a white, uh, what we call in today's understanding a white lie. It's a lie. A lie is a lie, but she was his half sister, and so he says, uh, "Let's just say that you're my sister, so they'll treat me nice, and they'll not kill me." And this the second time was so bad that uh, that he even. Uh, delivered Sarah over to the king uh, to become uh, one of the king's wives. All along, he was still married to Sarah, and he, Sarah was his wife. Abraham wasn't much better. He he had all kinds of problems with lying. So we have the choice of Mary, the seed, uh, uh, a sinner. We have the seed of two men, David and Abraham. Thirdly, we have. Uh, the history of three eras. We have, uh, it says in verse 17 that there are three eras. There were 14 generations from Abraham uh, down through uh, uh, to the time of the carrying away to Babylon, 14 years after the carrying away, uh, uh, excuse me, 14 years from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the carrying away to Babylon, uh, and so we have three eras. The first era is the uh, the era of of the generations between Abraham and King David. This is the golden age of Israel. We have all of the prophets, and we have all the individuals in which uh, God is very uh, uh, is able to to demonstrate who He is. It's the golden age, uh, and it is a an age of ascending of all the patriarchs and all the individuals that uh, of that demonstrated the greatness of Israel and the greatness that God is, is bestowing upon them. You have Abraham and you have all these prophets and you have uh, the kings. Of, uh, but as the second generation, uh, now that was ascending of Israel getting greater. But you have the second era, the era of, uh, from David until the captivity, and that's a descending era. These 14 generations in which uh, when you start having the kings, you have all of these kings that do evil in the sight of God. And you have over and over and over again these kings that do evil. Every once in a while you'll have a a good king that will rise up. And uh, a Hezekiah, you'll have uh, a a king that will stand up and get rid of all the bad things that his father did and pull the people of Israel back to a worship of God. But right after he dies, another king comes in and he does more evil than any other king has done before. And time and time again, you read all that uh, through uh, the account of the history of Israel and the uh, first and second kings, uh, you read all about that. And so you have this real descent. And then you have the uh, time of the captivity to Christ. And uh, while uh, you've already had the ascension and the, then the descending at time, 
Now you have uh, an era of darkness, 600 years of darkness, of where we don't really know a whole lot about any of those individuals that are named in those generations. Nothing at all stands out about them. It's really a, an era of darkness, of, of not understanding anything about these individuals. They, uh, they just uh, fall away from God so much that uh, we come to the Messiah, the Anointed One. The Messiah comes and we see grace. The grace of God is seen in uh, the, uh, the inclusion of these outcasts. We also see the grace in the inclusion of four outcasts. We see, first of all, uh, in the lineage of Israel, four women... Look at, look at this passage of Scripture. It says all these names, uh, and it says uh, uh, we come down to Judas begetting Perez and Zerah of Tamar. Tamar is the first of the individual's name. Tamar is, is, a, is a woman that, uh, that marries one of the sons of Judah, and he dies, and he uh, they have not had a child, and the Levitical code said that uh, that uh, it was by her right to to be able to marry a brother to give us uh, an heir. Well, she marries a brother, and he dies as well. And so uh, Judah begins to say, "Well, this is this is pretty bad. I, uh, you need to wait until my next son is old enough to to give you an heir." and he, uh, she waits and she waits and she waits. And uh, the Bible tells us uh, over there in uh, Genesis 38 that uh, she figures out that Judah's never going to give her an heir through the next son. So she puts off her uh, dress of mourning and she sets that aside and, and she puts on regular clothes and puts on a veil and she goes out and she tricks Judah. Judah's coming along and he sees her on the side of the road and he thinks that she's a, a temple prostitute because she's got her veil, uh, face veiled. And uh, she goes in with him and lays with him uh, and uh, she gets pregnant. And uh, it's revealed to to Judah that that he is the father, and so we have, and she's quite a character. Then we have Rahab, uh, the harlot that is mentioned here in Joshua chapter two. You see uh, uh, her story, and we remember that from the children of Israel coming out of uh, of uh, slavery, and uh, they come to uh, Jericho, and and she's a harlot, and she's uh, uh, takes in the spies. And so we see that grace of this woman that uh, was a harlot, and she uh, she is uh, the the mother of Boaz. Now we know who Boaz is. Uh, she marries uh, Ruth, uh, or she um, uh, or Esther. She uh, she uh, 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 Boaz is a godly man, and so then we see Ruth. Uh, Ruth was. A Moabitess, and she was outcast, and uh, she was brought in, and the Moabites were cursed of God in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. And we see uh, the fourth woman, Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah and the adultery with 
King David. So the message is, is that God is a God of grace. Matthew introduces this uh, to us and throughout this passage of Scripture of the lineage of Jesus Christ and the very uh, 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 establishment of who Jesus Christ is is the fact that He is a uh, king, that He is, uh, has the right to rule and to reign, but He rules in grace. And what is this saying for us today? That God is a, uh, uh, has brought Jesus Christ not only to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but He has grace towards us. He is the friend to the sinner. He is the one who in, uh, includes all these sinners in, in the lineage of Jesus Christ uh, it, to demonstrate that He has come for those who are sinful. Jesus said, uh, I have not come for those who are healthy, He's talking to the, the Pharisees. He says, I've come to, to reach out to those who are in need of healing, uh, a need of a physician. And so uh, Jesus Christ is coming not for the righteous. He's come for the sinner. And we need to understand that Jesus Christ comes uh, at this time uh, of, uh, of our year. We need to see Jesus Christ coming as uh, the King, the righteous King, the King who comes uh, to rule in grace. He is uh, uh, the gracious King, and we need to worship Him. Jesus is a friend of sinners, uh, and today we need to understand who Jesus Christ is. Uh, this is uh, the King received. He is the, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we need to receive Him into our life. It's my hope and prayer that you would uh, receive Jesus Christ today and understand Him for who He is. He is the righteous King, deserves to be worshipped, and He is a King who rules in grace for us all. Let's bow in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for uh, the opportunity that we have to come and to know You as the King of our Lord of our life. Lord, we praise You and we worship You and we want to exalt You for all that You are. Lord, lead us as we seek to, to follow after You and as we seek to, to allow You to lead our lives uh, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.